0: Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine and I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Janzik and you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics podcast is brought to you by Ascension this season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 20. Today we'll be reading Part 3, Certain Councils on the Practice of the Virtues, Chapters 13 and 14. And that's pages 239 to 245 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So we are picking up with what we treated in the last episode. And again, we're talking about obedience, chastity, and poverty. So we covered obedience and chastity. And now we have one more section on chastity and then a final section on poverty. So again, recall that we're talking about those virtues Which saint francis de sales thinks will benefit from when it comes to living our devout lives so not necessarily the most important things like faith hope and charity but things that we might otherwise overlook or things that he finds it super helpful for us to consider when beginning uh, to endeavor this devout life so here again we find him placing stress on reaching up to the highest good and not getting lost in lower goods so whether we're talking about chastity Or whether we're talking about poverty he has this big emphasis here on the one thing necessary which is to say you know god all right so let's say a prayer and then start in in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen grant us grace o merciful god to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee to examine it prudently to acknowledge it truthfully and to accomplish it perfectly for the praise and glory of thy name amen chapter 13 how to maintain purity be utterly diligent in turning yourself aside from all the approaches and allurements of impurity for this evil works subtly without your even noticing and from small beginnings pushes on to large results which are always more easily avoided than cured human bodies are like glasses which cannot be carried together touching one another without running the risk of being broken or like fruits, which even if in season and healthy nonetheless are bruised by touching one another. Water itself, no matter how fresh it might be in its container, once it is touched by any beast of the earth cannot long retain its freshness. Never allow anyone, Philothea, to touch you familiarly, either in the way of sport or in the way of love, for although chastity may perhaps be preserved in actions that are minor and not lewd. Nonetheless, the freshness and flower of chastity always receives some detriment and loss from this. However, to allow yourself to be touched immodestly is the utter ruin of chastity. The source of chastity is the heart, and the body is its subject. Therefore, it may be lost either by the body's external senses or the interior thoughts and desires of the heart. It is impure for you to behold, hear, speak, smell, or touch anything immodest, allowing your heart to entertain itself and take pleasure in it. St. Paul says quite clearly, quote, "...but immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you." Ephesians 5.3 Bees not only avoid dead animals, but even avoid and deeply hate all the stench that they give off. The Sacred Spouse in the Song of Solomon, see one ten four 4, verses 1 and 3, 5, 5, 7, 4 has her hands distilling myrrh, which is an antidote against decay. Her lips are bound with a scarlet ribbon, the mark of her modesty in her words. She has the eyes of a dove, to signify that they are spotless. Her ears have gold earrings as a mark of their purity. Her nose is amongst the cedars of Lebanon, which are made up of an incorruptible wood. So too should the devout soul be, chaste, clean, and pure in hands, lips, ears, eyes, and in all her body." To this end, allow me to recall the words written by John Cashin, which claimed to come from the lips of the great Saint Basil, who speaking of himself one day said, quote, I have not known a woman, yet I am none the less not a virgin. End quote. Certainly chastity can be lost in as many ways as there are to be indecent and lustful, which, depending on whether they are great or small, weaken it, wound it, or wholly destroy it. There are some indiscreet, foolish, and sensual indulgences and passions, which, properly speaking, do not violate chastity, but nonetheless weaken it, make it languish, and tarnish its beautiful white purity. There are other indulgences and passions, which are not only indiscreet but vicious, not only foolish but dishonest, not only sensual but carnal, and, by them, chastity is at the least greatly wounded and disturbed. I say at least because chastity is killed and wholly perishes when foolishness and lustfulness give the flesh the full measure of carnal pleasure. But in such cases, chastity perishes more unworthily, miserably, and wickedly than when it is lost through fornication or even through adultery and incest, for these latter kinds of vile actions are only sins, but the others, as Tertullian says in De Pudicitia, monsters of iniquity and sin." Now, neither Cassian nor, I believe, St. Basil thought himself so out of line when he accused himself of not being a virgin, for I think that he was only accusing himself in this way because of his evil and lustful thoughts, which, even though they had not defiled his body, had nonetheless contaminated his heart, which chastity guards with extreme zeal. Do not take up company with immodest people, especially if they be also insolent, as they generally are. For, as he-goats touching the sweet almond trees with their tongues make them become bitter, so too these corrupted souls and infected hearts scarcely speak to anyone, whether of the same or opposite sex, without causing them to fall to some degree from purity. They have poison in their eyes and on their breath, like basilisks. On the contrary, keep company with the chaste and virtuous. Often meditate and read holy things, for the Word of God is chaste, for, quote, "The words of the Lord are pure," end quote. Psalm 11:7, Dewey version, and purify those who delight in it. Thus, David compared it to the topaz, Psalm one hundred eighteen, one twenty seven, Dewey Reims's version, a precious stone that has the property of assuaging the heat of concupiscence. Keep yourself always near Jesus Christ crucified, both spiritually by meditation and truly through Holy Communion. For just as those who lie down upon the herb called Agnes Castus become chaste and modest, so you, laying down your heart to rest upon our Lord, who is the true, chaste, and immaculate Lamb, will see that your soul and your heart will soon be cleansed from all the defilements of impurity. Chapter 14 on Poverty of Spirit Observed in the Midst of Riches quote, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew five three. Therefore, cursed are the rich in spirit, for the misery of hell is their portion. Someone is rich in spirit if he has riches in his spirit or his spirit in riches. And someone is poor in spirit if he has no riches in his spirit, nor his spirit in riches." The Halcyons construct their nests in the shape of an apple and leave only a small opening at the top, building them on the seashore. They fashion them so firm and impenetrable that when the waves surprise them, the water can never get into them, but instead, always staying afloat, they remain in the midst of the sea on its surface, mastering the waves. Your heart, my dear Philothea, ought to be like this nest, open only to heaven and impenetrable to riches and all transitory things." If you have them, keep your heart free from the least attachment to them. Keep it always floating above them, so that even in the midst of riches it remains unpenetrated by them and retains mastery over them. Ah, no, do not put this heavenly spirit into earthly goods. Let it be always superior to them, above them, not in them. There is a difference between having poison and being poisoned. Apothecaries have nearly every poison imaginable for use on different occasions, but they are not poisoned for the poison is in their shops, not their bodies. So too you may possess riches without being poisoned by them, if you have them in your house or your purse, not in your heart. To be rich in fact and poor in spirit is the great joy of a Christian, for by this means he has the convenience of riches for this world and the merit of poverty for the world to come. Alas, Philothea, no one ever acknowledges that he is covetous. Everyone denies this base state of soul and meanness of heart. They excuse themselves on account of the expense of children weighing upon them, on account of prudence which requires that they should make some provision in saving. They never have too much and always find some reason or other for having a little more. Even the most covetous not only do not confess that they are guilty of this, but even think in their conscience that they are not. No, indeed, covetousness is like a malignant fever to which we become insensitive as it burns all the hotter. Moses saw the sacred fire that burned the bush and yet did not consume it. Exodus 3, two. However, this profane fire of avarice, by contrast, consumes and devours the covetous person and does not burn his conscience. Even aflame with the most excessive heats of avarice, he boasts of how agreeably cool all things are, and judges that his insatiable drought is really nothing more than a natural and pleasing thirst. If you have a continual ardent and restless desire to possess goods that you do not have, Vainly do you say that you do not wish to obtain them improperly, for despite such claims you do not fail in being truly covetous. If a man has a constant ardent and restless desire to drink, even though he wishes to drink nothing but water, nonetheless this is a sign that he has a fever. O Philothea, I know not whether we can say we are justified in desiring to have justly what others justly possess, for it seems by this desire we wish to reap our own gain through someone else's loss. If a man possesses anything justly, does he not have more right to keep it justly than we have to desire it justly? Why then do we extend our desires to his possessions, desiring to deprive him of them? At the best, even if this desire be just, nonetheless it most certainly is not charitable. For in any case, we would not like another man to desire, even justly, that which we have a just right to wish to retain." This was the sin of Ahab, who desired to have Naboth's vineyard justly, which Naboth much more justly desired to keep, 1 Kings 21 verses 2 and 3. Ahab had an ardent, constant, and restless desire for it, and thereby he was displeasing to God. My dear Philothea, when your neighbor desires to part with his goods, then you may desire them, but do so with the desire that is good, for then his desire will make yours not only just but charitable as well. Indeed, I am quite willing for you to take care to increase holdings, provided it may be done not only justly, but with meekness and charity. If you have a strong attachment to the goods you possess, if you are very solicitous about them, setting your heart on them, forever thinking of them, anxiously fearing that you might lose them, know well that you have some kind of fever. For unlike the healthy, those suffering from fever drink water with unusual eagerness, earnestness, and satisfaction. It is impossible to take much pleasure in anything without being greatly attached to it. If you should happen to suffer any loss of goods, and then you find your heart very grieved and downcast, trust me, Philothea, you are too greatly attached to them, for nothing can be a stronger proof of attachment to something than grief at the loss of it. Therefore, have no full and express desire for wealth that you do not possess, nor fix your heart too much on what you have. Do not grieve if loss should befall you. Then you will have some reason to believe that though rich in fact, you are not so in desire, thus being poor in spirit and consequently blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. In this section, we see a few different themes emerge. So one thing I think that it's helpful to confront at the outset is that the language can be a bit severe, but you know there's a reason that this is a classic so we can't simply say like, yeah, you know, oldie timey. I think I've said oldie timey before on the podcast. I got to get out of that habit. Um, so, you know, kind of middle age, dark age understanding of the human person and of our desires. So maybe I can just set this aside because it's fascinating that even though you have some you know, pretty severe judgments about our pursuits, there's a really balanced understanding of our human desire and a real patience with its weakness. So here, you know, when it comes to chastity, for instance, he's just he's just going to lay it out at the outset. It's easier to never begin a sinful practice than it is to have to stop a sinful practice. And yet, in light of the fact that some of us may have already begun, there are things that can be done. So a gentle balance of severity, but also patience and understanding of the human condition. So when you hear these types of things, Father Jacob Bertrand, where does your mind tend?
1: Yeah, I think that in, like, as you've described, we kind of recoil a bit at the severity, but what is good about it is that St. Francis de Sales makes no compromise with what is sinful or tends towards the sinful. He just calls it out. And I think that's good for us to hear. Sometimes we just need to know or be reminded yet again that like, no, this is bad. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But where he would fall short he doesn't you know what w- it would be a problem is if it was just a finger wagging That's not the point of what st. Francis is writing about here You know, he's writing about these these virtues the the counsels, as we've talked about them on this episode and, and the last um, As like the tools the means by which we are conformed to Christ that we're given the grace to live it devout life So it's like a both hand, you know, like this is bad Avoid it, but also here's how to live well. So it's kind of for me, it's kind of refreshing to hear, um, just the sort of not in your face, but just like an upfront assessment of of what's going on and the human condition and the fallen human condition. I think I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that sometimes we look at the world in which we're living and we it's it's easy to think like ah, it's never been worse. Like people have you know we're really falling apart. I just I don't think that's true. I think things are different, but I think there's always the world has always been a tough place post fall. So it's good. At least I'm refreshed sometimes in hearing, hearing just like an honest assessment of, of what's going on. So what I found very helpful in his description
0: is this in, what would you say? An insistence that no amount of indulgence makes life any easier on us. So sometimes you hear people describe rules and they're like, here's a list of a thousand and seven rules. Don't break any of them. God bless. It's like, okay, well, why slash where do these rules come from and on whose authority and how do they relate to my happiness? But I love that St. Francis helps us to draw those connections, to draw the connection between the counsels that he provides about chastity and about poverty and our flourishing as human beings. So we're not just called to observe an abstract standard of reg- like rules and regulations because what? Because it's difficult. Um, because it's seen by some in ecclesial circles as noble? No, because ultimately this is about us loving the Lord well and loving those whom the Lord entrusts to us well. So like chastity, for instance. Um, yeah, no amount of indulgence makes life any easier. So you can think about, you know, like your 21st century life. Let's say you go on YouTube and you're looking up a movie trailer and you suspect on account of who's in the movie and the genre of the movie that there might be something, you know, a little bit off color, a little bit salacious Ah, but you click on it anyway. You're like, it might not be. All right, that's a form of mental gymnastics, which actually obscures the truth from you. And in obscuring the truth from you, it actually makes your life harder, right? It's not like, let me try to get away with small things because, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I can't really be expected to like preview previews. That's why they're called previews, you know? Um, No, 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 no. You, You have a mind with which to know, and that mind informs your heart with which you love. And if you're feeding your heart, with things which will stir you up, which will cloud your vision, which will kind of complicate your emotions, then you're going to end up suffering from that. So there's not just a rule over here that barely speaks to your life. It just pertained to a time and a place which are very foreign from the present. No, no, no. They still apply because they're attuned to the heart and they lead to God. So I think that, I, yeah, I certainly benefited from the uh, yeah. While On the one hand, we said severe on the other hand, like just very sensible and helpful as far as like a like a teaching point, helpful to show the connection between what we do and then
1: how we flourish. So yeah, what your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think with that, when, when St. Francis is writing here in these chapters, um, he makes the point that like religious formation, and I think this is the case with a lot of things, like we think of, I don't know, like learning in, an instrument or learning a language that the younger we start, the easier it is to go and so too with kind of religious formation that when we have these habits formed when we're younger it's is they're just easier to live and by contrast when we're older they might be and you know we have habits that are contrary to the christian life they're harder to reform okay fine but at the same time where our hope ought to be placed is not in our sort of ability to rewrite our own habits but in the reality that that christ wants us that he gives us The grace for conversion, um, even if we find ourselves sort of trapped in habitual or repeated sin, St. Francis is reminding us like where to look, you know, to look to the virtues, to look to grace, to look to the devout life, um, because it's there that God is at work. And I think we have to be encouraged in that, that yeah, there, we can talk about like bad, uh, vicious things or, you know, in, in a severe sort of way, but it's kind of a question of, do we hope or despair in the face of that? And I think St. Francis is is reminding us of, you know, we don't have to despair. We simply have to turn to Christ to hope and grow in faith and, and faith, hope and love, you know, those virtues in particular to cling to him, to be formed by him and those things. I think in light of what you just described of an image that
0: St. Therese of Lisieux gives in the story of a soul. She describes how, you know, so this is a way of describing how the Lord relates to us. She describes a father who is also a medical doctor, and he observes his child coming down the street, and the child is about to hit a little stumbling block. Maybe there's a, a little rock in the way, and he anticipates that the child will fall. And then when the child falls, the child will injure herself. So then the question is, having seen this having anticipated this will the doctor go ahead and remove the stumbling block or does he permit the child to fall and then you know patch the child up subsequently and he says or she says i should say saints says that god's kind of caught between different ways of expressing his love because if he removes the stumbling block we're not always conscious of the fact that he has removed it and so we kind of skip our way through lives thinking that it's all just fun and games and then we we can find ourselves in a certain difficulty but if he permits us to fall and we reflect on the fact that he could have removed it then sometimes that can make us feel a certain amount of resentment but all the while well, like we know that he's patched us up so so we have a kind of visceral experience of his tenderness and of his mercy so it's it's just very complicated when you think about it from our vantage like what would be the best thing for god to do what would we appreciate most out of god well it's not it's not clear but i think the point of the image is to show That God, you know, not that God is deciding insofar as God doesn't change or God doesn't suffer doubts in the way that we do, but that God is motivated to show us his love and to show us his mercy and that the concrete particular events of our lives are occasions in which he does so. So regardless of what ends up happening, whether you're spared or whether you fall, the Lord is there to show you that he loves you. He's there to visit you with his mercy, and so I think sometimes for people you know, who don't experience, you know, sexual sin in their lives. And then they go to maybe like a place like Steubenville where everyone's sharing their testimony. And it's like, and then, you know, it's like, whoa, that is wild. And then like that person almost feels left out on account of the fact that his or her testimony doesn't have some of the same sort of details. But then on the other hand, those who have suffered these types of sins feel that they have to undergo many, many, you know, months or years of healing, which can be taxing, right? Which can be saddening. So like regardless of how our lives shape up, know this, you know that the Lord is good, that the Lord loves, that the Lord is merciful, and that he's training his goodness, his love, his mercy on you so that you can be drawn into relationship with him. So whether that's by way of repentance or whether that's by way of purity, the Lord has a plan, the plan is good.
1: All right, Father Jacob Bertrand, last thoughts on this theme. Yeah, let's we divorce the sort of what we've read before in the previous chapters with what we're reading and what's coming, it's important, I think, to see everything as a whole. And I think St. Saint- Francis wants us to see that too, that, you know, as we as Father Gregory's described, our our individual sort of paths of conversion and our histories and all of these things, they're they're different and they're ours and our Lord knows how to use them and work them to bring us to him. But we can see here like the necessity of of patience and that's what we started talking out about with the virtues that we we have to hope in our lord's promises and that he is true to his word as he is but also to be patient in our growth in our conversion in our healing um because it's it's on his time not ours and and there's a beauty and a and a freedom in that so trust that trust it indeed
0: all right folks that's it for today
1: so thanks so much for having tuned in
0: be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash classics And if you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, uh, specifically subjects that touch on this theme like chastity or shame or whether we can mess up the will of God, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, planning And there you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with the occasional guest. Lexio Divina Scriptural Meditation, or special series. And you can find God's Planning with any uh, podcast app. You can find it on YouTube or at God'sPlanning.org. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.